0: Welcome back, lords, ladies, and lovelies, to season two of Black Girl Tea Party. My name is Yasmeen Hill.
1: And I'm Malia Dorsey. First things first, let's get right into the brew. Yasmeen, what is brewing for you this week?
0: Well, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about how we're recording this on Inauguration Day. After what seems like a very scary, but like, reflective two-week period, Um, and of course I'm talking about the insurrection that happened at the Capitol on January 6th, and I know you, Ali and I, you know, we talked about this a little bit. I think before we get into the episode, it is necessary for us to just talk about that at least a little bit, because that's really where my head has been at, just um, getting a lot of different views on the situation, but really at the end of the day, it's just an indictment of like how white supremacy is pervasive throughout literally every aspect of our society, and the rhetoric around it and how people are acting around it now really just proves how whiteness will protect you always Um, just like the entitlement the shamelessness the fearlessness it blows my mind and I really thought that like something like this would snap some people into shape or wake some other people up so really all of this is like anecdotal based off of like uh, responses from like Twitter or like my Instagram or something like that or just talking to people, being in class with people that um, are a little bit different than me. I, a young man in my class quite literally said that he didn't care because it had nothing to do with him. And I think even that is like coded with privilege because I think this has everything to do with all of us. But yeah.
1: The, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Like that. I feel like if we ignore white supremacy, then it wins. It does what it is meant to do, which is to make you think that it's not a big deal and that it doesn't concern you, and that lets it fester.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I don't mean to open season two on, like, a somber beat, but if I'm being honest, that's my brew, you know? That's what I've been thinking about probably what a lot of people have been thinking about whether they're scared or anxious and today when I got the notification that President Joe Biden had been sworn in alongside Vice President Kamala Harris I was relieved but you know I we still have to hold people accountable to certain things and I, you know, we can't let the transfer of power distract us from, like, actual problems.
1: Yeah, like, all of that is true. My biggest concern with what we've been dealing with for the last couple of weeks is that, like, all of the people at the government insurrection are, they, like, they they were trying to open the government. They went in there with the intention to hurt elected officials and to... Stop our legal process that happens every election season and that is a illegal and b just shows again like as you were saying that like whiteness is like currency and it can buy you your safety even when you are trying to overthrow the government um also the thing about that that really strikes me is that like each and every one of those people at the government's at, at that insurrection um, on the sixth, like those people have jobs, those people have families, those people are a, those people are a part of communities, and nine out of ten those communities have people that they do not like, such as queer people, people of color, disabled people, um, all of these groups are um, immigrants. You know, all these people are vulnerable and when these people don't get like arrested or even prosecuted for the crimes they committed on that day, all they're going to do is they're going to go back into the communities and they're going to harass these marginalized groups and they are going to make their lives more dangerous. Um, In my own life, I've seen like so many of my other black friends and my other friends of marginalized communities talk about how they are afraid to go outside that it's a couple of days and a couple of weeks, a couple of months because, however, because you know, like, white Embassy doesn't take a break, it's looming over us all the time. Um, how I get calls from my mom making sure that I'm okay, making sure that I'm not going out at night, so she makes sure that I can come home safely. Um, and that's like a scary thought is like this is not for people of color and for other marginalized people, like this insurrection. Proved. We had been saying for years, really, about, like, what my privilege is, what white supremacy is. And all people are going to do is they're going to take that anger about uh, today, the Inauguration Day, and they're going to go into the communities and they're going to make the lives of marginalized people a whole lot worse. And so if you are a marginalized person and you're listening to the show, I, please be safe. Please take care of yourself. Please take care of your mental health and look out for other marginalized people in your communities. Because I think in times like this, you have to realize that really nobody got us what we got us, you know? Um, Because I think, um, throwing by like, I think that if that insurrection happened and it was a bunch of Brown people or it was a bunch of people of other marginalized identities, it would not, have gone the way it was. I I truly do feel that a lot more people would would be dead the day of. Like the Capitol steps would be like running with like the blood of protesters had that been people of color. And I think that's something that we all have to recognize that like whiteness is like currency and it bought a lot of people that day the ability to go home to their families when this summer um, a lot of people didn't get to go to didn't get to go home to their families. Either due to police brutality or due to them like risking their lives at protests for basic human rights. Um, so yeah, um, I also want to talk about maybe one good thing um, for the start of our season um, that I've been I've been jamming to Chloe and Hallie's new album uh, Ungodly Hour. And I just want to talk about that yeah. one good thing that happened <laughs> since the new year. I've been I've been bopping to their album and I thought you know like, in the wake of all the really, really awful things that have happened in the past few weeks, you know, that album happened. That album happened also. And it's been, it got me through. It was like, wow, here's this, like, light in my life from these artists that I enjoy. Um, So that happened. Um, There's slated to be a bunch of new, like, shows coming out um in the new year that we can all look forward to. Um, re- I'm, I'm probably going to be watching some of those. I watched Adventure Time for the first time over the break. Um, it, that show ended like in 2018, but I just watched it for the first time over the break, and it's really good. I'm watching Lord of the Rings with my roommate, which I've never seen before. Um, so, also, I want to remind us that you know, you got to find joy in the very simple things in life at this point because it really, 2020, 20, 2021 did not start off to a great start, but. Um, Here's to it being better, friends. Um, and that's yeah. also my brew for 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 this week. Um, and with all of that, it's time for tea. This week, friends, we'll be talking about black fashion. What makes it popular and why it is such a phenomenon in our lives? So we're going to go through uh, the history of black fashion in the U.S. really quickly. So let's start with, like, the 1920s, which is the beginning of the Harlem Renaissance, where black people were beginning to have some real, like, um, disposable income and wealth, which was very threatened to a lot of white people at the time. Um, According to an article by Orange Magazine, um, they said that black women used their newfound freedoms and increased wealth to buy clothes that were exclusively worn by white women prior to the 1900s. and so this was the beginning of Black people trying to cultivate a very specifically African-American style. And this goes on into the 50s, where this very traditional Sunday best look of that decade, which included sin uh, silhouettes, like Dior's the new look, and dressing in a very, like, polished way, um, was a way that many Black activists chose to symbolize their humanity while fighting for their basic human rights, according to a BuzzFeed article on Black fashion.
0: Yeah, Leah, so in, like, the the 60s and the 70s, black people began to develop, like, a uh, very specific, like, black uh, style, like you were saying. And through hair, you know, with the popularization of the Afro, Motown, and the rise of uh, the black beauty market, um, according to Orange Magazine, clothing of the time period was marked by a concerted effort by many black Americans to reclaim a variety of African prints and styles black Americans were starting to resist white supremacy with more visibility as seen through their reclamation of African dress. So like these styles were just like a large um, symbol of people wanting to reject like Eurocentric beauty standards in fashion and in hair. So by rejecting those uh, standards of the previous decade to return to their more natural looks that emphasize their blackness in everyday life, really that was kind of like a, I guess a small form of protest, but also like yeah. a reclamation of culture through, you know, and also like a creation of that culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, like in the 70s and 80s, we saw the rise of rap and what is often called the golden age of hip hop. And this is a fashion that has great effects on today's modern street fashion style. Um, So just like the tracksuits, the chains, and the big chiller jackets were all popularized by black rappers at the time, like Run DMC and Big Daddy Kane. In the 90s, clothing was once again a way to tell a political message, especially with the beatings of Rodney King highlighting police brutality at the time. And this legacy of political action through fashion stays with us till this day with such Uh, with such clothing items such as Dray McKesson's iconic blue vest and Lena Waite's 2019 Matt Gala suit. And today we are also seeing a return of street style and the glamorization of Y2K black fashion such as colorful wigs, laid baby hairs, and pastel colors, um, as well as forms, uh, signs of political activism in today's street wear.
0: Yeah, no, I'm actually really glad that um, we're bringing this up because as we were talking, the first thing
1: I thought about was
0: um, Baby Fat coming back. You know, the uh, Kimora Lee Simmons brand uh, that was really popular in the 90s. She really popularized the, like, velour sweatsuits and stuff like that. And so the idea of these bright pastels and the streetwear coming back in style is really interesting because when the brand launched again, I was expecting it to look a little different, um, as if it had, you know, kind of aged with the market. But really, it was uh, pretty, like, similar, I think, to the original drops back uh, back in the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, but also, like, bringing up, like, the glamorization of black fashion. And, you know, we talk about this a lot, actually, of, like, how these uh, street styles, really have been, like, co-opted into, like, uh, mainstream fashion, and so, you know, like, if we're talking about athleisure being a symbol of, like, status or something like that, there's really, like, duality in that idea, and so it's, like, when you characterize uh, certain Black people for dressing in this, like, street style as being unkempt or unproductive or something like that, or or as being, like, scary, if we think about like the the connotation of wearing like hoodies and stuff like that in that same vein all of those like fashion statements are also seen as very high class depending on who's wearing them or or, like the price tag that comes with it
1: right right and like if you even think about things like um like calabasas fashion it's literally just like hip-hop fashion but rebranded for like suburban white people who are, like, rich enough to afford high-class athleisure fashions, you know, and, like, these were clothes that were, like, formulated uh, for, like, low-income people who could afford these fashions, and so there's just been kind of, it's, like, really, it's, like, it's only thought of as classy when rich people do it, and there's, like, a lot, a lot, a lot of classism in that, you know, like, how Yeezys is hip hop fashion but it's like a thousand dollars for a ripped sweatshirt it's kind of just like it's kind it's really deeply insulting you know because like this is a culture that people have cultivated in their communities and it makes sense in these communities but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when people of like in a higher tax bracket do it you know like I'm seeing a lot of this on like TikTok social media right now where like um, particularly white women are trying to figure out how to like Lay their edges and they're like going into their hair stories, you know, and they're right, girl. Like, they, like these people, I saw a joke or someone was like, You're trying to figure out how to lay your baby hairs. Them baby hairs got mortgages. Them baby hairs are 24 and in and, and finished with college. Them baby hairs got yeah. PhDs, you know? <laughs> and that yeah. craps me up because it's like, Well, this style was formulated as a way for like black women to feel, black and Latino women is also, to feel, like, good about, like, the way their hair goes out of their head, you know, and to feel good about, like, their particular fashion that's been founded, like, in this community. And I think, like, we used to make fun of women for having, like, for, like, swishing their baby hairs in this way. And now it's become this, like, iconic look and this, like, um, people are almost, like, nostalgic about baby hairs. Um, right now. Yeah. You know, people who yeah. didn't, like, wear them before and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because, like, what are you nostalgic about when you were, yeah, like, it's very, you know, it's very clowning misplaced. the girls? Ah, right. It's, it's, it's clowning very the misplaced.
0: Girls. You know, I, I also think of, like, that the oversized look that's really popular now and, you know, and we could talk about, like, baggy clothes and that sort of thing, but, like, the idea of, like, sagging your pants or, like, wearing oversized clothing was definitely not very popular um, in, like, communities at large, right? But now that I'm seeing it, and, like, like you were saying, these items are being, like, overpriced, overprocessed, and it doesn't make a whole – I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? Because we know what's happening, right? The black community does something, it is, like, seen as cool, and then parts of that are picked apart for social sampling, And so when you pick that apart, strip it away of its meaning or intention, then it like will look different. Um, And there's also a lot of classism and possibly racism in fashion, especially like when we consider the effects that um, these like luxury or like pseudo luxury brands like polo um, and its ties to the hip hop community. So an article by Esquire talks about how polo and, uh, hip-hop became tied mainly because of a gang called the Low Life, the crew that formed in 1988 from the union of two Brooklyn boosting shoplifting outfits, Ralphie's Kids from Crown Heights and Polo USA uh, from Bronzeville. For five years, Low Life founder Tristan Howell, the third and photographer tom gold documented this culture interviews archival pictures and recent portraits of key players make up the first ever book recounting how a group of kids in brooklyn went on to influence mainstream rap stars and birth a movement of boosters and collectors of polo worldwide oh according to the book's website
1: um and from this group we really began to see like big hip-hop stars uh, like Kanye West and Drake, began to wear uh, the Polo brand and to bring it to the popularity. However, Polo as a brand didn't want anything to do with uh, this new hip-hop culture and made no efforts to market to this thriving demographic of Polo lovers. Um, the Esquire article says that uh, if Ralph Lauren doesn't want hip-hop to be a part of his brand's image, a less figured all the better for them to actually live up to his ideals. That polo wasn't meant for them was precisely why they were wearing polo the right way. Whether it be robbing or stealing, Raekwon says in Bury Me, low just symbolized, yo, I'm getting mine. Other low-life member, Just Blaze, says, I'm not a cattle wrangler, I'm not a skier, and I don't race yachts for a living. But as a young kid in the hood, I wish I could be that. And that's why we wear the clothes that we do. Um, I think the story is important for me um, is because, like, I think we – often criticize, um, like, a lot of rappers for talking about, like, the clothes they wear and how much money they have without really considering that all lot of people who start the rap movement, like, these are people who are coming from, like, often, like, low-income situations and that, like, be- through, like, rap music and through hip-hop, they have the ability to, like, actually afford... <laughs> Some like really expensive and high quality items and so especially for this like gang called the low life and their book bury me and uh, bury me in the low like this is them trying to talk about that experience and that's really like genuine and authentic and i think we should really be like thinking about that in our criticism of, of hip-hop and hip about culture um and how maybe like there is like a lot of like classism in that criticism you know like Maybe we're not, yeah. like, seeing the whole picture of that, um, and maybe we're not giving enough of our compassion to people who simply just, like, want to wear things that look good. But also I'm a big fan of, like, I think poor people deserve to, like, have some nice things every once in a while, you know. And there is, like, racism in the fact that, like, Polo as a brand did not market themselves towards, like, this demographic who are, like, buying their stuff. And in the case, or, like, you know, in this case, shoplifting their stuff. And who maybe would buy it if it were more affordable? Um, You know, like, I think it's kind of beautiful that these people, I mean, it's beautiful and sad in the same way that, like, these are people who are glamorizing the life of what is primarily, like, rich white people, and polo for them is, like, aspirational in that way. Yeah. But, I mean, also, I
0: just, like, as an idea, like, as a concept for Polo to take a stance against wanting to be kind of lumped in with the hip-hop community, I think that doesn't – I mean, it, it, like, logically, I'm having trouble even coming to term, not coming to terms with that. It, I'm not surprised. It just doesn't make sense to be like, oh, this is what Polo represents. And even if you want to spend your money on this, it's not for you. Like, I, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it, in this way, clothes symbolize not only, like, what we like to wear, but who we would like to be and who we are right now. So just like a lot of things, fashion and clothing is really just, like, an outlet for your personal style, your individuality. Um, you know, I guess parts of your style could show parts of your personality as well. And, you know, clothes are an easier, like, everyday way kind of to show who we are. And sometimes they're not always affordable, but you could find, like, dupes or something like that, Uh, you know, going to other – going to department stores and stuff like that. But the idea that an an entire brand would, like, want to separate themselves from – black and brown people by virtue of them being black and brown it just doesn't make sense but at the same time like those same brands that we're talking about will take inspiration from those cultures from prolific people from those cultures and then build up this high class uh, image of their take on fashion for the year or the season
1: right right like I feel like the same thing happened with like Brands like Michael Kors, like I remember when it like became like really really popular, um, and then I feel like a lot of black people and a lot of like poor people started buying the brand a lot, or like I don't know, or like getting it from shoplifters, and then like suddenly I think it lost a lot of its notoriety in, like haute couture, you know, like it's not. I don't think it's a brand that's considered to be luxury, on the same level of things like Gucci or. Um, or East or East, or East and Laurent. Like I don't think it's like, you know, up there with them right now. And I think it's because a lot of like poor people started buying the brand, you know, and I don't think it's even really considered a luxury brand for a lot of people, even though like it is still expensive <laughs> to buy like Michael Kors, you know. Um, I don't know. I feel like the way that we talk about fashion, especially like luxury fashion, like says a lot of the way that we feel about class and it's kind of about a lot of it feels like it's about, like, who is worthy to wear this brand and who is not, and oftentimes there's racism in that, you know. And and like you said, like, meanwhile, these brands on their runways, they're going to put out models who are just, like, mimicking the way black people look. Like, everybody wants to be a part of black culture without ever having to, like, actually, like, think about what that means. Think about what created that culture. Think about, like, um, what that symbolizes and find, like, Beauty in the way that, like, black people have built a style and a culture from, like, nothing, you know, from when, like, so much of that has been taken from us. And now we're, like, we've changed fashion and culture in a way that is comfortable for us in the U.S., you know. And it's kind of, I don't know, that's why it always feels so icky when, like, high culture or high couture um, brands, like, appropriate black culture. Because, like, you don't want us as buyers but you definitely do want you, – you want our swag, though. And, like, that's just not yeah. – it's not fair. Yeah. It's not fair.
0: But – oh, I mean, also that – I mean, leaning more into, like, the classism aspect of it, I'm thinking about, like, uh, instances where these luxury brands, like, partnered with um, iconic, like, black artists or um people in the fashion industry. So, like, I'm thinking – do you remember when – Nicki Minaj partnered with Fendi and had a whole line of, like, this whole, like, collaborative line.
1: Yes, I do remember that.
0: Yeah, and so, like, really, I think that's another example of, like, oh, we are, you know, pretty high class. But in order to, like, pander to this market, we're going to partner with Nicki Minaj and get all of the her fans, get all the girls to buy the goods. And, you know, is that, I don't know, I don't work at Fendi, so I don't know, is it because you want black people to be buying Fendi or is it because you just want them to be spending money in general, right? And then I think about, Mm -hmm. I wrote a research paper about like these luxury brands um, picking parts of uh, black culture, Um, the Gucci turtleneck in a fashion show a couple years ago, this model for Gucci, walked down the runway in a turtleneck that went over her mouth, and around where her mouth was, it was, like, these big, like, red lips, and it was, like, very derivative of, like, um, minstrel shows, it was very derivative of, like, these, um, like, dated black caricatures, and it was this really big controversy, and my thought process was, like, how did this even... Happen? How did this make it from point A to point B to the public's eye? Um, And I think that really just shows that there's not a whole lot of consideration that demographic when they're making these creative decisions because, you know, we're not their target market.
1: I mean, yeah, like, that reminds me of, I don't know if you remember when, like, Prada did something similar with, like, their like, racist storefront um, merchandise that, like, you know, it's literally, like, monkeys that are, like, black with red lips, and it was in their storefront, and they pulled that that marketing merchandise. And it was just, and it's like, well, we're obviously not involved in, like, any part of this process when you're making stuff, but, yet, like, y'all will still do stuff that, like, you think either A, panders to us, Or B, y'all will still like you like you'll put out models on the runway with cornrows and with grills and with every other thing that is typically associated with hip hop and black fashion, but you're not gonna respect us as like a consumer. And so, you know, it's it's a lot going on there. It's a lot going on there, and it's it's racism and classism all like rolled up into one as far as like uh, haute couture is concerned. Um, And, like, fashion is so deeply powerful because, like, obviously we talked about earlier in this episode, like, it's a way to make a statement. It's a way to, like, um, do what I think black fashion has always done, which is, like, defy expectation and prove to the world that we're going to show ourselves in the most authentic way. That we that we possibly can, either by way of through like Afro, our afros being embracing like African prints, or through like um, icon like other kind of icons that that we use, you know. And so, I really think that like you know if, black, if if high fashion wants like wants to use like black culture in this way, it gotta start like actually respecting black people not only as buyers but also just, like, as people who have, like, contributed overall to American fashion culture in a real, like, significant way. Yeah.
0: If we're shifting to um, our takeaways, I think my main one is that once I start getting more coins, you know, whenever or however that happens, when when your girl got coins to spend, I want to be spending (laughs) them on you know, black owned fashion brands. I want to be lifting up more localized, um, like fashion creators that I believe in or that represent my style. I think that's something that we didn't talk about. I don't think we talked about like our personal styles and um, I've definitely been doing some searching, trying to figure out the things that I like and, I feel like I don't want to be putting my money into brands that don't care about me or my body or what compliments me. I would rather just, you know, put my money and my time and wear things that, you know, I know I'm happy with the way it was made. I know that it's supporting um, someone who like actually put thought into their creative process. Like, Um, I definitely want to be more conscious about that sort of stuff moving forward. I mean, I'm broke now, but, like, one day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For sure.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. When I – yeah, I'm I'm also uh, big broke now. But when I do get some coins, I definitely want to start, like, shopping more at some, like, brands that are actually, like, you know – Putting forth the effort to, for me, it's about like size inclusivity. Uh, like I am a fat woman. Um, there are very few brands that I can shop at, like point blank period. You know, and I know mm-hmm. like the girls are like obsessed with thrifting right now, which is also has like a tinge of classism to it because I think a lot of like because thrifting is that so popular that like I think it's harder for bigger people to find um, clothes that fit them in thrift stores now. So a lot of the girls mm-hmm. like buy larger clothes and then like remake them into smaller sizes instead of getting the already small sizes there. Or like I've heard of some thrift stores being more expensive than people are willing to pay for now because of equal thrift. Either way, thrifting isn't really for me and for my and for and for my size category. But um I'm I'm trying to find some brands or at least uh some like makeup brands. I also love beauty brands too that are black owned. Um, I'm finally in the place right now where I can like cultivate a style that I enjoy um, and have clothes that like fit me in the way that I want them to fit me. Um, And so I would, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do a lot of that, you know, right now. And ideally when I get some coins, I'm going to spend it on some black artists or at least brands that haven't done like super duper racist things in the recent past. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But um that is a wrap for our episode this week. Yasmin, where can our listeners find you?
0: I'm at Yasmin underscore SA on Instagram.
1: Aaliyah, where can our listeners find you? I'm at It's Aaliyah Dorsey on Twitter and Instagram. As always, please follow Black Girls at Black Girl Tea Party on Instagram, search Black Girl Tea Party on Facebook, and at Black Girl Tea Time on Twitter to stay up to date with our episodes and get updates from us.
0: Also, please subscribe. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our show. We're literally available everywhere.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um, you can also send us an email at blackgirlteaparty at gmail dot com. Send us questions, ask for advice, tell us you like the show. Just we would just love to hear from you all, um, our lovely, lovely listeners. So remember to love often and with all your hearts this week, friends.
0: Oh, if anyone knows any good brands, let us know. But thank you for joining us for our first episode of season two. All of our sources are listed in the caption. Please love each other and yourselves, and we'll see you next week.